Hey guys, welcome to part five of Sarah Reed Sanditon. I did want to apologize for not having an episode last week. I was on vacation, um, and so I will do a double release this weekend. Um, and I know I say it every week, but the drama really does take off, so strap in and enjoy part five. Chapter 25 Evening had stolen over the denim drawing room, but no candles had yet been lit. It was so dim that Esther didn't initially notice her brother sitting there. It was the smell of his cigar smoke that betrayed him. When he saw her, he didn't greet her, only drained the rest of his glass of port and poured another. "'Who won?' said Esther. "'Does it matter?' "'I thought winning was everything to you, Edward.' "'Depends on the prize,' he looked up at her. It was too dark to tell, but it seemed as if he looked right through her. The thought made her feel cold. She lit a lamp and sat down on the chaise. "'You look flushed,' said Edward from the armchair. His eyes were hooded and difficult to read. "'Where have you been?' "'By the river.' "'With him?' "'You know I was.' She was suddenly impatient. "'Why are you pretending? It's tedious.' "'Because I wanted to hear it from your own lips.' She took in a breath. "'He asked for my hand.' "'And are you going to accept?' "'Isn't that what you wanted?' "'He stood. "'No, Esther, it is not what I wanted.' "'He came closer. "'Not now. "'Not ever.' "'But you said... "'You know I didn't mean it. "'I could never mean it.' "'He sat down next to her, "'so close she could smell his cologne as well as tobacco, "'and the unidentifiable scent "'that was indefinably Edward to her. "'If you accept him, you'll be lost, Esther.' he said in a thick voice she had never heard before. Not just to me, but to yourself. Yes, you will be rich, but you can never be free from him. Not as you are here, with me. As time goes on, he will demand your silence, because that is what those men do. He moved closer still. She couldn't meet his eye. He makes me laugh, she said softly. I have forgotten how that feels. I can do so much more than make you laugh. He reached up and brushed the back of her neck, just at the sensitive point where her hair met her smooth white skin. As he leant in to kiss her, she sighed, all thoughts of Babington dissolving into the gloom. Charlotte was out of breath by the time she got to Mrs. Griffith's lodging house. She had looked everywhere for Georgiana, but to no avail. She had even gone down to the cove, and the riverside where they had picnicked when Mr. Molyneux had visited before. It was as she knocked on the door that the awful thought occurred to her. She hadn't allowed it admittance before. If Georgiana wasn't in Sanditon, then what else could she have done but eloped? Crockett announced her. Sidney was already in the parlor, clutching a letter, and when he looked up at her and so- looked up and saw her, his face was stricken. Mr. Parker, she breathed. Georgiana has disappeared off the face of the earth, he spoke over her. No one has seen her anywhere. Where can she be? Where would she go? Mr. Parker, there's... But she was interrupted again, this time by the arrival of Mrs. Griffiths and young Stringer. The former's face was pale and tear-streaked. Mr. Stringer has some news of Miss Lamb, Mr. Parker, she said tremulously. Sidney got to his feet. What is it? One of the young men saw her waiting outside the hotel, said young Stringer. Waiting, 
When? What time? Four o'clock. Charlotte's heart clutched. The next thing was a carriage drove up. A man got out. A man? She was meeting a man? Charlotte knew she must speak. Was this man black? Why would you ask that? said Sidney sharply. Was he? Charlotte asked again. Young Stringer shrugged. All that he said was that there were two of them. The other was in the carriage. She was bundled in and they took off. Charlotte covered her mouth. Bundled? Thank you, Mr. Stringer, said Sidney. I'm grateful to you. I hope you find her. It must be a worry. Mrs. Griffiths burst into renewed tears. Sidney touched her arm. Show Mr. Stringer out, Mrs. Griffiths. When they were alone, Sidney turned to Charlotte. You know something. Tell me what it is. She quailed at the thought of his fury, but then she thought of her friend out there in the unknown. I've been acting as a go-between for Georgiana and Mr. Otis Molniel these past few weeks, she said, trying to keep her voice steady. Since you forbade them from seeing each other, her heart was broken, Mr. Parker, and I could not bear to see it. I sent Mr. Molniel a letter on her behalf this past Monday, arranging them for, me to, for them to meet today during the cricket match. You did what? His tone was icy. I was to accompany her, she rushed on. I would never have let them meet alone, but I was caught up in the excitement of the match and forgot. You forgot, he shouted, his fear heeding to anger. You forgot? Yes, yes, and I'm sorry. She must have sneaked off. She was desperate to see him. She would not be stopped. He regarded her with cold fury. If anything has happened to her, this will be on your head. He picked up his hat and strode from the room, leaving Charlotte alone, trembling and painfully ashamed of herself. She had clashed swords with, si sw swords with Sidney more than a few times. She had even thought him cruel in his treatment of Georgiana. Never before had she known so clearly that right was on his side and not her own. Esther waited outside Denham Place in the fading light, listening to the plaintive cooing of a wood pigeon. She saw Babington approach before he spied her in the long shadows of early evening. She felt herself close to him again now, despite what had passed by the riverside. Miss Denham? He studied her closely, the hope in his eyes dying as he did. Lord Babington? You sent for me? I did. They stood there in silence for a long moment. I see I am not to be invited in. No. He stilled and squared his shoulders for what was surely coming. Lord Babington, you must see it would be an unmitigated disaster, she began, not quite looking him in the eye. The whole notion is ridiculous. The sea air has addled your brain. I could never contemplate a proposal from someone as shallow as you. She glanced at him, but looked away quickly when she saw how her words wounded him. You still believe me shallow? You proposed on a whim. That is hardly a sign of depth. He reached out before dropping his hand, apparently resisting the urge to touch her. Is this your honest answer, without a shred of pretense? He searched her face, but she still would not look at him. It is, she said in a clipped little voice. He left her then, striding away without looking back. She thought of what Edward had said, the way he had touched her but it didn't comfort her as it once would have. Babington was almost out of sight now, his figure merging with the shadowy trees lining the drive. 
She understood then that what she was feeling was probably regret. That things couldn't be more simple, that she had already given her heart to Edward long ago. In Trafalgar House, Charlotte had related to Mary the bad tidings about Georgiana. When will all this end? she said, visibly distressed, her poor face terribly strained. Charlotte was pacing up and down, quite appalled with herself. How can I have been so wrong? This is all my fault, Mary. I must do something. There is nothing you can do now. We must leave it to Sydney. Charlotte kneeled at her feet. Please, let me take the carriage. I will go to London and look for her and Otis myself. I know where he lives because I've been writing to him. I'll start there. Mary was shocked. No, Charlotte, you would be alone. It's too dangerous. I will not countenance it. Then I will go to Tom as soon as I arrive. Please, Mary. You cannot rely on Tom, she said in a bitter tone quite unlike her. No, Charlotte, this is my final word. With that, she left a desperate Charlotte alone in the drawing room. Whatever Mary said, and however saddened she was at the thought of disappointing her, she simply could not do nothing. She would lose her wits if she tried. Quite decided, she went to Tom's study and wrote a short note, and then ran upstairs to pack some essential belongings. Leaving the note on the table in the hall, she slipped out of the front door quietly enough that she wouldn't alert any of the servants, let alone the exhausted Mary. It took but a few minutes to reach the hotel, and the coach waiting outside it. With a last look around and a deep breath to fortify herself, she stepped aboard. Soon she would be on her way to London, where she would do her best to make amends. Though it was the last thing she wanted to do, Esther went straight to her aunt's house after seeing Babington, without a word to Edward. She knew how angry the old lady would be, and didn't want to put off the inevitable for the next day. In fact, Lady Denham was even more furious than she could have foreseen. "'He is a lord!' she repeated for the third time, as though speaking to someone unforgivably dull-witted. "'He has a fortune! Why did you refuse him?' "'Because I don't love him,' Esther said stubbornly. Lady Dunham's face turned an even darker shade of puce as she gripped the arms of her chair. "'Love? Love? What does love have to do with anything? Marriage is a business arrangement, nothing more. Do you think I married for love?' She stopped to catch her breath, which was growing shallower and more stertorous with every sentence. It was loud in the cavernous room. Aunt, you have the Denham name, but a name will not see you through without a dowry. You will not, you would be a decent catch if there was one, but there is not, not a single penny. Esther stared. You would not do that. Lady Denham's head had gone down and the whole of her shook. Oh, I would, she muttered. Go, I am done. Esther moved towards the door, but a sound made her turn. It made her, it was her own name, but so strangulated she could barely make it out. Her aunt had slumped forward in her chair. Esther, she managed to say again, though not above a whisper, I feel quite unwell. Esther ran and knelt by her, taking up her hand, which was clammy and cold. Lady Denham's face, which had been so livid, was now quite drained of color. She stood, still clasping her aunt's limp hand. Help! she cried. Help me! Chapter 26 It was deep night by the time the coach shuddered to its final stop. Charlotte had been suspended between sleep and wakefulness for what seemed like weeks. Even now that they had stopped, her head still seemed to move with the rocking of the coach. 
She turned to the stranger whose rough shawl she had been brushing her cheek for hours. Are we here? Is this London? But the woman was already getting to her feet, her hip bones clicking in protest. Charlotte followed her and stepped down into a scene reminiscent of a nightmare. Excuse me, she called up to the coachman, who was readying the horses to leave. She fumbled for the note in her bag. Do you know where I might find Honey Lane? But if he heard her, he affected not to, and she could only watch as the carriage moved off into the night, leaving her quite friendless. Though the sun had long set, the street was alive with people, noise and smell. Street hawkers shouted, stray dogs so thin you could count their ribs fought over scraps, and beggars crowded the shadows, their backs up against dripping walls, their hands out. Everyone else seemed to want to leave the scene as quickly as possible, an impulse very understandable to Charlotte, especially when a speeding carriage sent up an arc of filthy water and soaked her to the skin. Indeed, her every sense was so assailed that her first inclination was to find another coach that might take her straight back to the clean civility of Sanditon. Then she remembered Georgiana's plight. Courage, Charlotte, she murmured under her breath, and it did help a little. She consulted the small scrap of paper once again. Mr. Otis Molnow, it read, Seven Stars, Honey Lane, London. Though she had little idea where she was in the great city, and even less where the Seven Stars Inn might be, she did eventually find it. Though the journey through endless streets took almost two hours and left her perilously close to exhaustion, if she'd hoped for a respectable sort of public house, those hopes were quickly dashed. The door was blocked by a couple pressed up against each other, a pock-faced, half-dressed woman and a sailor who must have come from the far east. Peering inside through one of the smut-streaked windows, she could see that the dimly lit, smoke-filled interior was no more salubrious. Some of the patrons were singing bodily, others were gambling, others were st still were sprawled unconscious across tables. From the look of them, they had washed up at the seven stars from every corner of the globe, some from China, like the sailor, others from Spain or perhaps Greece, Charlotte couldn't be sure, others so ebony-skinned they were surely from Africa. She was steeling herself to push past the couple by the door when it banged again, causing the pair of them to dive out of the way, and Charlotte to jump. An older black man, gray at the temples, but his arms still roped with thick muscle, held a slighter man by his filthy collar. I shan't warn you again, Mulligan. This ain't that kind of establishment. With that, he half threw the man to the gutter. It was then he caught sight of Charlotte, as out of place as the sun at midnight. And what are you gopping at, Duchess? Sw Charlotte swallowed. I, if it's a drink you're after, you can come inside. This ain't no pleasure garden. He turned to go in. No, wait, I'm not here for... I need to speak with Mr. Otis Molnio. This is where he resides? Ain't no one who resides here but me, Sam Sidaway. Oh, and Mrs. S., on the rare occasion, she ain't taken a game with me. But I have been sending letters to this address, and he's been answering them. Ah, uh, well, now and then he might come to buy to fetch his post. Take a drop or two. Now and then? Alarm was beginning to course through Charlotte. So when do you expect to see him next? The publican shrugged. No way to tell him. Ain't seen him in a week or more. Even sent some other cove to fetch his post last week. Gone to ground, you might say. But I must see him. 
It is a matter, a matter of great urgency. I have traveled a good many miles to get here. Then you've had a waste of journey, ain't you, Duchess? He went back inside, and the door slammed shut in Charlotte's face. Alone once more, she tried to gather her scattered wits, but the thought of wandering back through the hostile city until daybreak made her want to weep. Someone emerging from the shadows jostled her, and she almost dropped her precious bag, but at least the surprise of it set her in motion once more. She walked on for a time, but then, faced with a fork in the road that she didn't recognize, hesitated. Taking the better lit way, she was dismayed when it narrowed, the air noticeably colder as the walls closed in. She had just decided to turn back when a figure stepped out of the darkness ahead. As a sliver of moonlight caught his face, she saw his awful smile, the dark, toothless maw of his mouth. A flash at his side revealed itself to be a knife. She gasped and turned to run, but he was too quick for her, pulling her close and clapping a huge hand over her mouth. She felt herself half-lifted, half-dragged back towards the darkness, and began to kick, her screams muffled. I am lost, she thought quite clearly, but the next moment was all confusion. There was a rush of movement, a billowing greatcoat, a hard crack of a fist meeting bone, and the answering howl of pain. She found herself suddenly, miraculously released and upright, the arms that had been crushing her gone. She looked down in astonishment to see her attacker sprawled in the muck, clutching his jaw. She spun round, her mouth open and round with surprise. Mr. Parker? She couldn't believe her eyes. For a moment she thought it was the shock, but when she blinked and opened them again, he was still there, not a figment of her imagination after all. It really was Sidney Parker standing there before her, as large as life and evidently displeased to see her. Before she could speak, he took her arm and led her back to the road. As if this situation were not insufferable enough, I now have the added burden of protecting you. Worn to a raveling, though she was, Charlotte still had her pride. I have no need of your protection, thank you, she managed to say. You just came within a hair's breadth of being knocked down in the street, cried Sidney as he marched her towards his carriage, which was waiting outside the Seven Stars. And Cheapside is no place for a young lady, let alone unchaperoned, let alone at night. What possessed Mary to let you come? She doesn't know I am here. In fact, she expressly forbade it. But you stole away on the London coach regardless? I left a note explaining that I had to come help. Help? How exactly did you think your presence here would help? Well, for one thing, I did not think you would have Mr. Monio's address. He gestured at the public house before them. As you see, it has hardly taken me long to find it. It is no use to us anyway, said Charlotte heavily. He has not been seen here in over a week. Apparently he has all but vanished. Of course he has, with Georgiana. We don't know that he is to blame. How much more proof do you need? He held open the carriage door for her. Thank God Tom is at our luncheon house. He will see that you are kept out of harm's way. Charlotte gave him a pleading look. I didn't come all this way to sit uselessly by. I am in large part to blame for what has happened. You have to allow me the chance to help put it to right. Please. His face, framed in the lamplight coming through the carriage window, seemed to soften slightly as he took in her words, but then he shook his head. You have done enough. 
They had been driving in silence for some time when Sydney spoke again. Of all places, I thought she would be at least safe in Sanditon. He was addressing himself rather than Charlotte, but, suffused with guilt as she was, it felt as though he blamed her alone. If you had been honest with me, she said, if you had only told me that you feared for her safety, then I would have thought twice before. I could not have made my feelings for Mr. Mullion no any clearer, he interrupted. You spoke only in the vaguest terms. You gave no reason for your antipathy, no explanations. So you supplied your own. You baselessly accused me of prejudice. Hardly baseless, given how you made your fortune. He rounded on her. For God's sake, I despise slavery. I long since renounced the sugar trade for that very reason. That man's race plays no part in it. Charlotte raised her chin obstinately. I can think of no other reason for your enmity. And what do you know of Mr. Mulneau? His voice was harsh. You spent a single afternoon with him. Did it occur to, Did it never occur to you that I might have been trying to protect her? All I could see was that they were very much in love, and that for some reason you were hell-bent. Love? This has nothing to do with love. The only thing that man ever cared about is her fortune. That you should think so speaks more of you than it does of him. He had been looking out at the passing streets, city streets, but now he rounded on her. Are you really so naive? Why do you think he is so desperate to marry her? Because the moment they are wed, everything she owns will become his. But Charlotte didn't want to dwell on this possibility. If it was true, then she was even more of a fool. Are we not wasting time? She said, preferring to concentrate on the matter at hand. Instead of taking me back to Tom, we could be searching for Georgiana. And where do you suggest we look? Fear and frustration made his voice harsh. This is a city of a million people. That is supposing they are even still within its walls. But Charlotte had had a flash of inspiration. The Sons of Africa, she said. What? It is the movement he belongs to. If we can find out where they meet. She didn't need to finish her sentence. Sydney was already banging with a gloved fist on the ceiling of the carriage. Some miles across town, another Parker was also beset by worries. Tom Parker was at his desk, attempting to write his wife a letter. My dearest Mary, he had begun, I can scarce, scarcely express the guilt I have felt since that humiliating episode of the cricket. You have every right to be angry, but you must trust that I am well on my way toward remedying. No, that would not do. He crossed the last out and tried again. That I will do whatever I can to put this right. But that was no good either. Too weak. He made another attempt. To restore our fortunes, I beg you not to lose faith in me. He put the pen down. The open bottle of Madeira at his elbow had been his only company that evening. As he poured himself another glass, he reflected that it was probably the only company he was fit for. Tom had grown somewhat used to living with fear, fear of failure in business, and in his ambitions for Sanditon, but never before had he had to contemplate the fear of Mary's loss. Despite the heaped fire in the grate, the notion turned him cold. Chapter 27 Much to the displeasure of its mistress, Sanditon House had once more been invaded by a doctor of medicine. After her collapse, Lady Denham had been put to bed and was now eyeing Dr. Fuchs with as much suspicion as her weakened condition would allow. 
I can no longer stand idle, my lady, the accused man was saying. You must allow me to treat you. I implore you. She tried and failed to sit up. Clara rushed forward to settle her comfortably on her pillows. Be gone with you, she managed to cry from her prone position, though it made her nauseous to exert herself so. The last thing I need is your ludicrous nostrums and panaceas. They will only sicken me further. She closed her eyes. The doctor regarded her with great concern. Your fever is gefährlich high. More seawater, Lady Denham said querulously. That is all I need, and some warm ass's milk. See to it, Clara. And get rid of this perfidious quack while you are about it. Roused by her own speech, she threw back the covers and tried to stand, but she had not the strength for it, and her legs went from under her, sending her tumbling to the floor before Clara could catch her. Aunt! she cried as she knelt beside her. Lady Denham's eyelids flickered as she swooned. With the doctor's assistance, she was with some difficulty helped to her feet and returned to bed. "'What is to be done, doctor?' murmured Clara when the old lady was safely tucked in again. Dr. Fuchs shook his head. "'My dear Fraulein, I fear it may already be too late.' In an unprepossessing back room in London, the air thick with the stink of sweat and tallow, Mr. Otis Molnio commanded the attention of a motley audience— black and white, young and old, all were enthralled by his impassioned words. Now is not the time to be disheartened, he was saying, eyes roving around the room and fixing on each of his fellow sons of Africa in turn. We don't seek bloodshed like our brothers and sisters across the water. We ask only that every soul be considered equal. He stopped as the door banged open, and Sidney Parker strode in, Charlotte hard on his heels. What have you done with her? The former shouted without preamble, rushing for towards Otis, as if he meant to throttle him. Instead, he instructed the audience to leave immediately, which they did without demur. There was no mistaking the murderous glint in the stranger's eye. When the last one had filed out, Sidney gestured for Otis to sit down opposite him and Charlotte. He did so, and immediately began to protest his ignorance again. "'I haven't the least idea where she is,' he insisted. "'Why would I abduct her?' Sidney slammed his hand down on the arm of his chair. "'Because she is mistress to fortune, and you are servant to debt.' "'I played no part in it, I swear,' he put a hand on his heart. "'I would sooner die than dishonor her.' Charlotte raised an eyebrow at Sidney. She had felt sure Mr. Molnio truly loved Georgiana, and, to her, this seemed confirmation of the fact. "'And what of Miss Haywood's letters?' said Sidney, who was not convinced in which she proposed a tryst for you and Miss Lamb at the exact time and place from whence she was taken? Mere coincidence, I suppose? I never received such a letter. Do not insult me, Sidney leaned threateningly towards the other man. Sam Sideway said he sent you some, said you'd sent someone else to fetch your mail, broke in Charlotte. Otis shook his head, dawning, fear clouding his expression. No, I did not. "'Then why would anyone wish to steal your post?' said Charlotte. He cast his eyes to the floor. "'There is a particular gentleman to whom I owe certain debt. Lately his men have been shadowing me at all hours. I could not put it past him.' "'Which gentleman?' "'Mr. Beecroft.' His voice was thick with shame. Sidney put his face in his hands. 
What is it? cried Charlotte. Who is Mr. Beecroft? He owns a gambling house, said Sidney heavily. In an instant, Charlotte saw it all. The deception, the debt, the danger Georgiana was surely now in. Sidney stood, his jaw set. Charlotte knew him well enough by now to know behind the scowl lurked fear, and that made her afraid too. It was in the very deepest part of the night that Sidney and Otis were admitted, admitted to Mr. Beecroft's notorious gambling house. Inside, the place gave the initial impression of a reputable business, but Sidney knew better. "'Sure you won't take a little coffee, Mr. Parker?' said Mr. Beecroft. He was sitting behind a polished mahogany desk, and Sidney wondered how many men had lost everything to pay for it. Undeterred by Sidney and Otis's hostile expressions, Beecroft poured himself a coffee. Or something stronger? Thank you, Mr. Beecroft, said Sidney tightly. We shan't be staying long. Where is she? said Otis from behind, between gritted teeth. He could no longer remain quiet. Watch your tone, young man, said Beecroft, making a great show of being affronted though in raising his voice something of his low-born roots came through in his accent. "'A little decorum, if you don't mind. I thought you kept better company, Mr. Car Parker.' "'This man is no friend. We are compelled here by the disappearance of my ward, Miss Lamb.' Beecroft steepled his hands and smiled. "'Ah, yes, the famous Miss Lamb. Mr. Munoz speaks of little else. Miss Lamb this, Miss Lamb that.' I was reminded to ban the subject from my tables before it became altogether tedious. That is a lie. If I mentioned her, it was only in passing. Beecroft turned on Otis again. I am not the liar here. You told me a wedding was imminent, that her fortune was as good as yours. I'd never have let you run up such a bit otherwise. All I wanted was to buy some time. If I had thought even for a moment, Otis addressed this last to Sydney. Whatever this man has told you, he and my ward are barely acquainted, Sidney interrupted. He had no right to invoke her name. An impertinence indeed, sir, said Beecroft obsequiously. So I would ask that you share her whereabouts with me at once. Whatever debts Mr. Mornio might owe, they're not her concern. Mr. Er, Beecroft smiled nastily. Oh, there is no longer any debt. It has all been paid in full with interest. By whom? I am told she is a pretty little thing, just as you described her, Mr. Molyneux. As both men took in his words, the same expression of horror and revulsion covered their faces. Outside, Charlotte, no longer able to wait in the carriage, had just reached the door when Sidney flung it back. Otis stumbled out after him. He has sold her, he cried desperately. The villain has sold her. What? Clara touched at her. In return for her promise to buy his debt, she's been handed to some dissolute named Howard, who can usually be found on Drury Lane, said Sidney. Even now he'll be dragging her to some altar. An altar? Charlotte's heart was in her mouth. But that cannot be allowed, without your permission. There are no such laws across the border. There they will marry you with impunity. No, cried Otis, wild-eyed at the thought. No, we have to find them. Stop them. How? said Sidney. Sidney's voice was cold. Don't want to be half the way to Scotland by now. You should have thought of the consequences before you sacrificed her to your greed. 
This is Beecroft's doing, not mine. Had you but allowed us to marry... Sidney seized him by his collar before he could finish his sentence. He was breathing hard. You would blame me, he hissed. It is you who has ruined her. You gambled with her life and you lost. I should avenge your honor right here now. Charlotte, certain Sidney was capable of murder in that moment, rushed forward. Stop! What good will that do? She wasn't sure that he had hurt her, but then, abruptly, Sidney loosened his hold. Otis staggered backwards and almost fell. Get out of my sight, Sidney said in a dangerous undertone. Go! Otis looked as if he wanted to say something more, but then, suddenly defeated, turned and walked away. Without a word to each other, Charlotte and Sidney climbed back into the carriage. Both were lost in their own agony of guilt and self-recrimination. We cannot give up, Charlotte said eventually. I cannot accept that she is lost. How am I to live with myself if... And what do you suggest we do, Miss Haywood? We have no chance of catching up them now. A thought occurred to her. But how can we know for sure that they've even left? You said Mr. Beecroft had only received a promise of payment, not the payment itself. He doesn't sound like the kind of man who would give her up unless he was already in receipt of the payment. Sidney looked up at that. Encouraged, a small spark of hope lighting inside of her, she hurried on. So, could there not be a chance that he is still holding her? Somewhere in London, even? He met her eye and saw in his, and she saw in his, the same small ember of hope. If they had only known that Georgiana was indeed still in London, and not very far from where they sat in their chilly carriage, she was in Mrs. Harry's parlor, which on first glance appeared to be a well-appointed, if rather gaudily dressed room. A closer inspection revealed how tawdry it would look by day, the stained upholstery of the chairs and the chipped gilt of the candlesticks. Despite the blowsy flowers displayed in one corner, the air was slightly fetid. Someone more jaded than Georgiana Lamb might have guessed what it really was, which was the principal receiving room of a house of ill repute. Mrs. Harry's herself was not unlike her parlor, overdressed and overstuffed, her liberally applied rouge along with her uncom- with her comfortable, even motherly expression masking a steely determination. Come now, she said with exaggerated patience, pushing a bowl of stew towards Georgiana. Eat up before it gets cold. But Georgiana, terrified and furious in equal measure, could not contain her emotion a moment longer. She picked up the bowl and flung it at the wall, where it smashed, the contents running down the satin wallpaper, looking for all the world like old blood. "'Well, now, wherever did you learn such coarse manners?' exclaimed Mrs. Harry's, her composure gone. "'We are not in Africa now!' "'I am from Antigua,' Georgiana said angrily. "'And if you had any idea of my position, you would not dare to speak so to me.' "'Oh, I know fine and well who you are, Georgiana, and what you are worth.' She turned to one of the girls who occupied the dim corners of the room, who had been regarding Georgiana with a combination of pity and fascination since her, she arrived. "'Clarissa, fetch her ladyship a fresh bowl,' she said with a mirthless laugh. <laughs> she turned back to her prisoner. "'We need to fatten you up for the morning. Can't have you looking less than your best on your wedding day.' Georgiana blanched at the word, the last of her temper draining away. So that was what they had planned for her.
As Sydney and Charlotte's carriage jolted and rocked through London in the direction of Drury Lane, the first gray fingers of dawn were lightening the sky. Sydney was oblivious to it. I cursed the day she met that man, he said. Exhaustion had aged him during the night. His dark hair stood on end where he had pulled at it. And yet I cannot entirely condemn him, said Charlotte sadly. In spite of everything? As I see it, he is a good man who made one terrible mistake. Sidney looked scornful. He's an inveterate gambler. You seemed quite familiar with Mr. Beecroft yourself, she retorted. He gave her a black look. I've never played a hand I couldn't honor. I've never staked anyone's life. Otis never meant to place Georgiana in harm's way, any more than I did. And yet you both did. All I ever cared about was Georgiana's happiness. Charlotte was so tired and anxious, she felt she might weep. What do you think I care about? said Sidney. That is anyone's guess. I've done the best I can by Georgiana. She felt anger stir inside her again, and it briefly pushed aside the fear. No, she said, with so much emotion that her voice shook. At every turn you have abdicated responsibility. You exiled her to Sanditon and entrusted her to the care of Mrs. Griffiths and to me. If you were so concerned for her welfare, why did you not watch over her yourself? Which is a role I neither sought nor asked for. His words were bitter. Of course not, because you are determined to remain an outlier. God forbid you give yourself something. God forbid you give something of yourself. Please don't presume to know my mind. How could anyone know your mind? You take pains to be unknowable. All I know is that you cannot bear the thought of two people in love. And what do you know of love, Miss Haywood, besides what you have read? His voice had taken on a low, dangerous quality once again. I would sooner be naive than insensible of feeling. That seemed to strike him hard. To her great surprise, she saw she had wounded him. Is that what you think of me? He said quietly. I'm sorry you should think so. How much easier my life would be if I were. He turned to look out of the carriage window while Charlotte continued to watch him. He had confounded her again. She was beginning to lose count of the times he had done that. At Mrs. Harry's, the guest they had been waiting for had arrived and was now seated at the parlor table. Mr. Howard was an excessively unattractive man to look at. In his fifties, his complexion was sallow, his jowls loose, and his body prone to fits of sweating, <sighs> his shirt stretch- straining over a distended stomach. Still, seated between Miss Lamb and Mrs. Harry's at the table as the latter poured tea, the scene made for a peculiarly genteel tableau, the illusion only ruined by Mrs. Mr. Howard's burly manservant, who was stationed at the door and wearing a look of menace. I'd confess I'd given no thought to how you might look, Mr. Howard said to Georgiana. It seemed beside the point, but I'm pleasantly surprised. You have a youthful, exotic charm about you. She fixed him with a look of pure disgust. And you are a corpulent, loathsome swine. Upon my word, his fawning expression had soured instantly. Mrs. Harry's clucked her disapproval. I am afraid she is somewhat spirited, Mr. Howard. She will require a firm hand. No matter, he said, running his eye over Georgiana dispassionately. I've broken enough horses before now. I suspect a wife is not so different. 
He laughed, but it was a sound entirely devoid of warmth and feeling. Georgiana felt the fine hairs on the back of her neck rise. She had thought him a buffoon, but he was far worse than that. He was cruel. The manservant stepped forward and, at Mr. Howard's signal, handed over a small pile of letters. Georgiana recognized the handwriting immediately. She forced a sweet smile and clenched her fists for courage. There is a gentleman named Otis Molyneux. Remember his name, because when he hears of this, he will find you and kill you. Oh, I did that wrong. I'm sorry. Rewind. There is a gentleman named Otis Molyneux. Remember his name, because when he hears of this, he will find you and kill you. Mr. Howard smirked. I hardly think so, given it was Molyneux who offered you up to pay his debts. Feckless gambler by the sounds of it. You're lucky to be rid of him. You're lying. Oh, bless your heart, said Mrs. Harris. They all think it's love till they wake up with nothing. Ask any girl in here. They'll sing the same song. Georgiana gripped the edge of the table so she didn't simply slide off her chair to the floor. She could not believe it of Otis. She wouldn't, and yet... Well, no matter, said Mr. Howard. You are mine now, so you can forget all about him. He got to his feet and gestured to Georgiana that she should get to hers. Panic swelled in her breast. Come, he said. We have a long road ahead of us. Chapter 28 in the relative calm of Sanditon, young Stringer had steeled himself to call at Trafalgar House. When Mrs. Parker came down to receive him, he was grieved to see how tired and drawn she looked, not her normal bright self at all. He hung his head when she looked at him questioningly. I want to apologize for the way my men behaved at the cricket, ma'am. I hope you are not too embarrassed. But to his surprise, she shook her head. You have no need to apologize, Mr. Stringer. Your men work hard. The least they should expect is to be paid on time. It is my husband who should apologize. Thank you, ma'am, he stammered, uncomfortable that Mrs. Parker should pe would speak so frankly. Like I told the men, I know Mr. Parker will make things right. I hope so, Mr. Stringer. He forced himself to go on. Oh, and Mr. Mrs. Parker, his carefully casual tone made him cringe. I just wondered if you had any word from Miss Haywood. Not since the note she left. Silly girl, I expressly told her not to go to London. The thought of her alone in that big city. I'm sure you've no need to worry yourself, ma'am. I've never w met a woman as spirited as she is. He couldn't help but smile at the thought of her. Yes, we have all grown very fond of Charlotte. I will be glad for her safe return. Aye, ma'am, he said longingly. As will I. At Sanditon House, Lady Denham remained in her sickbed, surrounded by her family. She was still pale and weak, and looked quite diminished in the enormous bed, but her infamously sharp tongue was apparently unaffected. Look at you, clustered around my bed like bloodhounds, she said, eyeing them beadily. A triumphant smile on her cracked lips, ears cocked for my death rattle. Good Lord, Aunt! Not in the least, said Sir Edward. Well, you shall be waiting in vain. I wouldn't give you the satisfaction. But the effort of speaking was too much for her, and she collapsed back against the pillows, a coughing fit snatching away her, her breath. Clara rushed over and lifted her forward to rub her back. Do not fuss, child, Lady Denham cried, as soon as she had sufficient strength. 
am perfectly well. It is a hard cold, that is all. More seawater. Clara lifted the cup of salt water to her lips, which Lady Denham swallowed with a grimace. There, I feel my strength returning already. Esther stepped forward. I do not doubt your resolve, Aunt, but Dr. Fuchs believes you are gravely ill. Well, he would. It is entirely in his interest to say so. Sir Edward, with a glance at his sister, patted his aunt's arm. We have every faith that you will make a full recovery, but just for peace of mind, will you allow us to fetch a priest or a, a solicitor? He had the grace to call her at the last word. I have no use for either, she replied, thumping the coverlet. I have as much faith in religion as I do in medicine, which is to say none, and my solicitor has been instructed. He knows where the will is kept, not that it will be needed for decades to come. But she had gone, faded back into unconsciousness. You have exhausted her, hissed Clara at the Denims. Let her rest now. Sir Edward nodded and turned to go, gesturing for his sister to follow him. His mind was already busy, going over his aunt's words, which is to say he was wondering where in her gargantuan house she might have secreted her will. He wasted no time. As soon as Clara closed the door after him and Esther, he went straight to the drawing room and began searching. Edward! Esther was watching him suspiciously. What are you doing? You heard her. Her solicitor knows where the will is kept, and so should we. What is the rush? He stopped and turned to her. She is likely dying, Esther, and we have no idea how we stand. If the will is written, then surely there is nothing to be done. Of course there is. While she breathes, there is time enough to alter it, if I have to place the pen in her hand myself. Our aunt is grievously ill, and all you can think about is her fortune, though neither of them had though neither of them had ever pretended much love for their aunt, at least to each other. She was shocked by his callousness. "'You're so close, Esther,' he said, as if she'd spoken her unease aloud. "'I need to know our future happiness is assured. "'We haven't come this far to see it slip from our grasp now.' She nodded. "'Very well. You look through these shelves. I'll make a start over there.' "'There is no point in us both looking. "'People will want to know about our aunt's condition.' You go and spread the word. I shall follow close behind, just as soon as I found the wretched document. She left him there, tearing through their aunt's belongings like a man possessed. In London, Charlotte was absorbing her first glimpse of the city by day. To her mind, it was no more attractive for it. As Sydney's carriage drew to a halt at their Drury Lane destination, she couldn't help but stare at the confusion, chaos, and sheer mess of the place. Hogarth's depictions of the place had not exaggerated. Sidney jumped down and turned back to her, his face strained. Under no circumstances are you to set foot outside the carriage, he said firmly. Mrs. Harry's herself answered his heavy knock at the front door. Why, Mr. Sidney, she cried, evidently surprised. Ain't seen you in a fair while. I have some new ladies who will be delighted to make your acquaintance. He read it. No, thank you, Mrs. Harris. I am not here for... And who is this young lady? He spun round. Of course Charlotte had ignored his instructions. He should not have expected otherwise. I told you to wait. She lifted her small chin. I decided against it. 
Mrs. Harries was watching this exchange with amusement. "'Not made an honest man of Mr. Sidney, have you?' "'Gracious, no,' said Charlotte. "'I am a friend of Miss Georgiana Lamb's. "'We believe she might be staying with you.' "'No, I don't believe I'm acquainted with anyone of that name,' "'she said, her friendly manner quite gone. "'Good day.' "'She went to close the door, but Sidney's foot was in the way. "'Wait, please,' he said. "'Miss Lamb is my ward.' "'Mercy! Someone entrusted their daughter to you?' "'He ignored the barb. "'She is only nineteen and about to be forced into marriage against her will, "'her life destroyed. "'No, don't sound the least familiar.' "'But she could not meet his eye. "'For all her years in Drury Lane, Mrs. Harry's was not a good liar. "'Charlotte, seeing her chance, "'ducked under her arm and ran towards the stairs. "'Georgiana! Georgiana!' she called. She blundered into the nearest room and stopped short. Three hollow-eyed girls, their, fin their thin faces heavily rouged, their breasts half-exposed, looked impassively back at her. A couple of gentlemen, if they deserved the epithet, turned to see who disturbed them and ran their practiced eyes over Charlotte as though she might be for sale. The penny dropped loudly, and she felt herself color. So it was that kind of establishment. Mrs. Harry's had followed her in, Sydney at her heels. "'You missed them by half an hour,' she said, all pretty tense gone. "'They'll be well on their way by now. I'm sure she'll be make a bonny bride. She's the envy of my other girls.' Having extracted what little inf additional information Mrs. Harry's had, Sydney and Charlotte had no reason or inclination to stay. As they returned to the waiting carriage, Charlotte's cheeks were still hot. A glancing over at Sydney, she didn't think he was much less embarrassed. A boarding house, you said? She couldn't resist saying. I told you to wait in the carriage, he replied shortly. Is that your idea of love? Something to be paid for? I make no claims to be infallible. I am subject to the same weaknesses as a, any other man. But her ire was up now. It took little when it came to Sydney Parker, it seemed. "'You, who stood in judgment of Otis and everyone else?' she cried. "'When you are all too familiar with the gambling house and the, the bagnio, "'is that why you are so threatened by Otis? "'Because you recognize yourself in him?' "'That will do!' he looked at her thunderously. "'If we are to stand a chance of catching them up, "'we will have to make haste. It is best if I drive.' "'He climbed up beside the driver, took the reins, "'and looked down at where she still stood on the pavement. "'I don't suppose there's any point in telling you to stay behind.' By way of reply, she clambered into the carriage and slammed the door. After young Stringer's visit, Mary was hoping she might be left in peace for the remainder of the day. This wish was not to be granted. Just before eleven, she heard more visitors being shown in. It was Tom's younger brother and sister, Arthur and Diana. As if Miss Lamb's disappearance were not enough, Diana began once they were seated in the drawing room. Now Miss Haywood's a... "'Miss Haywood has absconded, too? "'Our nerves are in tatters just thinking about it.' "'Indeed,' said Arthur with a distracted manner. "'I am sorely in need of some sherry "'and a reassuring slice of seed-cake, if you have any.' "'He got up and left the room, "'apparently in search of the necessary sustenance. "'I doubt we shall hear of Miss Lamb again,' "'said Diana conspiratorially, once the two women were alone. "'She has been captured by bandits, I shouldn't wonder.' I expect she is even now tied to the mast of a pirate ship found for the Americas. 
Mary was only half listening. She had folded the handkerchief in her lap so many times that it was quite crushed. She looked up to find Diana regarding her with great concern. My dear Mary, she said, forgive me, prattling on when I came to listen. Listen to what? To whatever it is you wish to say. We were all present at the cricket. I am a devoted sister, but I am not blind to Tom's shortcomings. No one's patience is inexhaustible, not even yours, my dear. Those kind words, especially from her husband's fragile sister, almost undid Mary. Her burden lifted, just a little. In silent thanks, she reached out and clasped Diana's hand. Chapter 29 On a lonely stretch of road somewhere north of London, Georgiana was queasy with fear and the speed of Mr. Howard's carriage. The air was stale inside it. She could smell her captor's sweat and stale breath and the unwashed breeches of his manservant. Mr. Howard, who was seated opposite, abruptly leant forward, forcing her to press herself back into the seat. "'I know we didn't meet in the most auspicious of circumstances,' he said with a sickly smile, "'but in time I trust you will come to regard me with affection.' "'I would sooner cut my own throat,' she spat. The smile faded, leaving behind a sneer that made her shiver. "'That would be a shame. It is a rather pretty throat. At least wait until after we are married.' A disturbance beyond the confines of the carriage diverted his attention. He peered out the, of the window. Another carriage was gaining on them, fast. He pushed the glass down and leant out, just as the other carriage overtook them. To his surprise, it was a gentleman spurring his horses on so hard that the driver beside him could do little more than hang on for dear life. Inside that other carriage, Charlotte gripped the seat under her so as not to be thrown to the floor. She caught only a brief glimpse of the pallid-faced man peering out of the window as they drew level. The two carriages rattled alongside each other, the rutted ground rushing, ground rushing below, past below. Sidney indicated for his driver to take over and bring the two face racing carriages even closer together. When there was but a few feet between them, he leapt across the breach and boarded the other carriage. Charlotte gasped in relief as he landed safely. Overmastering the other driver with little ado, Sidney took up the reins and brought Mr. Howard's carriage to a halt, Sidney's driver following suit. Mr. Howard's head poked out just as Sidney jumped down to the road, pulled open the door. Mr. Howard was outraged. What do you want? We have nothing worth stealing. I beg to differ, said Sidney. Sidney? Georgiana hardly dared believe her eyes, but then her guardian held out his hand to her. She went to take it when Mr. Howard grabbed her arm. Oh, no, you don't, he said, stiff and red-faced with fury. But Georgiana was too quick for him. She elbowed him as hard as she could in the ribs, hearing with satisfaction his groan of pain. She scrambled out of the carriage and ran towards Sidney's, where Charlotte, her dear friend, was holding open the door for her. "'Come back!' cried the livid Mr. Howard, but seeing it was to no avail, he addressed Sidney. "'What is the meaning of this? Who are you?' "'I am her legal guardian. That is all you need to know.' "'I made a deal with Beecroft in good faith. She's my property!' I am no man's property, shouted Georgiana as Charlotte pulled her inside the carriage. 
least of all yours. Mr. Howard, now trembling with rage, gestured at his manservant. Don't just stand there. The man, who was taller and considerably wider than Sidney, began to advance on him, but Sidney stood his ground. Last I heard, the penalty for kidnapping was hanging. Is that a price you were willing to pay? The manservant stopped and looked at Mr. Howard, who, for his part, had begun to look more resigned than outraged. "'You owe me eighteen hundred pounds!' was all he could say as Sidney strode towards his own carriage. "'You can go to hell!' he called over his shoulder before getting inside. <laughs> the carriage moved off, and for a moment no one said a word. Georgiana sat very upright, as though the last of her dignity depended on it. Charlotte, as relieved as she was exhausted, found herself close to tears. She took Georgiana's hand, which trembled in hers. Oh, Georgiana, thank God, I am so sorry. But the girl only shook her head, her gaze fixed on the passing road outside. The fault is not yours to own. Charlotte exchanged concerned glances with Sidney, but did not press her further. She knew that Georgiana's pride was all that kept her from complete breakdown after such a terrible ordeal. In Santaton House, Sir Edward was surrounded by chaos. Papers littered the floor and were strewn over every surface. He had not taken care in his fevered search for Lady Denham's will. Looking for this? He turned. Clara was standing in the doorway, an infuriating little smile on her lips. She was holding up a roll of paper, and he knew instantly it was what he'd been looking for. He snatched it from her and began to read, his expression changing from avidity to disgust as he did. The entirety of my fortune to be left for the development of Sanditon Town and the foundation of a donkey stud is my name, he read aloud. He turned it over, but there was nothing more. He gave Clara a look of stupefaction. That cannot be the end of it. I assure you it is. Even in death she has found ways to torment us. It is better for us both if this were never found. Edward stilled. What are you suggesting? That we hide it? Gracious, no. We need to be a great deal more thorough than that. We cannot risk it falling into her solicitor's hands. She turned her china-blue eyes on the fire that was blazing in the grate. Edward visibly jolted when he understood. Yes, he said in a low voice. She has left us with no alternative. I'm damned if I'm to be pauperized by a drove of donkeys. He strode determinedly towards the fire. But Clara reached out and snatched back the document. Wait, we haven't agreed on our terms. What terms? If she is intested, her fortune will revert to the holder of the Denham title. I am sorry, but that is simply how it is. Clara stared him down. Esther had been wrong when she dismissed Miss Brereton as a milksop. There is nothing simple about it, she said. I need to know what my silence is worth. "'Your word against mine?' Clara's tight little smile did not slip. "'I could go to Lady Denham right now, and confess to everything, with four or five servants and a doctor to witness it.' "'You wouldn't dare.' "'What have I to lose?' she walked to the door. "'Wait, a thousand pounds.' 
and leave you with the rest? I would sooner let the asses have it. A tenth. He despised himself for the desperation in his voice. Half. A fifth and no more. She walked back towards the fire and dropped it in. Both of them watched as the paper began to catch, the first words consumed by the flames. He went to stand next to her. What will I say to Esther? I see no need to involve her. She moved a little closer to him. Her claim is weak, after all, and you wouldn't wish to dilute your share further. Be that as it may, she is still my sister. You know better than I how biddable she is. Edward allowed himself to look at Clara. Her pale hair had been burnished to copper in the fire, her blue eyes to gleaming pewter. She met his gaze, and the room around them faded to nothing. I have always suspected that, unlike us, dear Esther is burdened with a conscience, she went on, her voice soft now, persuasive. It would be a shame to let her hold you back now that you are so close to getting what you have always wanted. She gestured at the fire, where the last corner of the will was succumbing to the flames. It was done. Look at that, she murmured. You have just become shockingly wealthy. He didn't consciously reach for her, but suddenly they were upon each other, their mouths bruising as they kissed, their hands tearing at each other's clothes. As Clara pulled him down to the floor, Edward had the thought that nothing, not even his sister at the door, could have stopped him. He wanted Clara even more than he despised her. Guys, what just happened? Tom Parker was still in the sitting room of his London house. How long he'd been staring into the fire, he couldn't tell. It was only the sound of the front door opening that startled him out of his reverie. Who's there? he said, squinting into the dimly lit hallway. As his eyes adjusted, he realized it was his brother and two ladies. Was it? Yes. Miss Lamb and Charlotte, though still exhausted in body and mind, he painted on his usual smile and called out jovially to them. Sydney, Miss Lamb, and Miss Haywood, to what do I owe such a delightful surprise? Might I assume you've all come to help raise interest in the regatta? But Miss Lamb was already heading for the stairs, her face shuddered. I need a scalding hot bath at once, she addressed a maid who had been summoned by the noise of their arrival. And you will take this dress away and burn it. What on earth? Tom was more befuddled than ever. In an upstairs bedroom, waiting for her bath to be ready, Georgiana sat in front of the mirror, wiping off the last of Mrs. Harry's powder with a damp handkerchief. Charlotte, who had followed with Sydney, watched Georgiana's reflection unsure what to say. Sidney, no less awkward, still hovered by the door. "'What will become of him now?' Georgiana said eventually. "'The debtor's prison? Worse?' She was speaking not of Mr. Howard, but Otis. "'He is no longer your concern,' said Sidney. "'Whatever he has done, I cannot just cauterize my heart. I'm not you.' Charlotte saw the spasm of hurt across his face. At this moment, your word, your world feels undone, he said, quite gently. I know that, but you must put him from your mind or you will go mad. Georgiana's bath ready, Sidney went wearily downstairs. He found Tom in his study. 
His London desk was in quite as much confusion as the Sanditon one had been before Charlotte's intervention. Sidney sat down opposite his brother. Exhaustion had turned his face gray. Never was a person less suited to the role of guardian than I. You have done your best? No, Miss Haywood was right. I have done my utmost to abdicate responsibility. For God's sake, her father saved my life. He pulled me from the depths when I was a lost and miserable wretch. And how have I repaid him? By failing to honor the one thing he asked of me. Tom let out a humorless laugh. <laughs> you wish to talk of failure? My laborers have gone unpaid for months, and everyone knows it. I promised poor Mary that I'd come to London and put things right, but I've knocked on a hundred doors and no one cares a damn about Sanditon or its stupid regatta. I begin to fear it is over for me, Sidney. It is far from over. You haven't been knocking on the right doors, that is all. He rubbed his eyes. I will talk to Babington. He will know where to go. As for your laborers, what if I lent you the money the banks would not? Tom looked up. No, I, I could not ask. Three thousand. That was what you needed, wasn't it? It is too much. I am your brother. There was a time when you did the same for me. But if I cannot do right by Georgiana's father, at least, for once, let me do right by you. My dear Sidney. Tom's voice was thick with emotion, but Sidney interrupted him. More pressing than any of this is Mary. I've always envied your marriage. You found a woman who accepts you for the man you are. Sanditon failing is one thing. But I will never forgive you if you fail your wife. It was rare that Sidney spoke so freely, so sincerely. It made the words all the more powerful. Tom sat back in his seat and let out a long sigh. There was a tap at the door and a maid entered with a letter on a tray. She hesitated, apparently unsure who to give it to. Thank you, Maud. Tom took it, read the name on the front, and then handed it to Sidney. I'll expect you want to open this. Written in a slightly wild hand, it was addressed to Sidney's troublesome ward. Mary welcomed yet another visitor into her drawing room, wondering if there was to be no end of the stream of callers that day. This time it was Esther Denham, who had already been preceded by Mrs. Griffiths, the Beaufort sisters, and the Reverend Hankins. With Diana and Arthur showing no signs of leaving, the room was quite full. Mary's head ached. Really, she wanted nothing more than to lie down in her bedroom with the curtains pulled. "'Miss Denham,' she said, with some attempt at civility, "'no doubt you have also come to show your concern for Miss Haywood and Miss Lamb?' Esther looked a little shamefaced. "'Oh, no. I assumed, if anything dreadful happened, word would reach me soon enough. Actually, I come with news of my aunt.' And how is Lady Denham? I trust she has recovered from her episode. A silence descended as all present awaited the answer. Esther adopted a serious expression. Quite the opposite, I'm afraid. She is gravely ill. Dr. Fuchs begins to fear the worst. Mercy! exclaimed Mrs. Griffiths. Mr. Hankins patted her arm. We must pray for her soul. Arthur swallowed whatever it was he had been chewing. Um, whoever would have guessed that she was mortal, he mused. But what will this mean for Sanditon? said Diana. For us? Mary, whose precise thoughts her sister-in-law had just voiced, could not bring herself to answer. 
in Sanditon House's splendid drawing room. Their lust now spent, Edward and Clara were straightening the clothes they had so recently shed. As Edward, as Edward fumbled to fasten the buttons of his breeches, Clara walked over to the fire. A single fragment of the will had escaped the flames. She picked up the poker and nudged it to the hottest part of the fire. "'There is no point turning back now,' she said. "'I hope I can trust you to honor ideal. A quarter of all you inherit?' "'We agreed on a fifth. Her sly smile, little smile was becoming quite familiar to Edward. "'It is a lady's prerogative to change her mind.' "'You have just proven, quite conclusively, that you are no lady.' Her eyes narrowed. "'What about Esther?' she said in a knowing tone. "'Too knowing.' "'Is she a lady?' Edward started. "'Don't fear. I haven't breathed a word to anyone. "'I know how judgmental people would be if they knew how close you really are.' "'They have no idea what you mean,' he blustered. "'Yes, you do.' It would break her heart into tiny little pieces if she were to learn of this, would it not? Foreboding filled Edward like ice water. Clara gave him a triumphant smile. A quarter share will suffice. Charlotte warmed her fingers against the cup of hot tea that had been poured for her. Though it was not cold in Tom's London sitting room, the fire burning brightly, recent events had shaken her so that she felt chilled to the bone. "'I do hope Mary will forgive me for stealing away,' she said, anxiously, having just remembered it. She had quite forgotten in the desperate hunt for Georgiana. Tom smiled distractedly. "'Oh, Mary is the most forgiving person I know. She will just be glad to know you are safe and sound.' He peered at her more closely. "'My dear Charlotte, you are trembling. "'It has all been rather overwhelming. I hardly know what to think any more.' "'About what, my dear?' "'About anything. I have always felt certain of my own judgment, "'but I see now that I have been blinded, blinded by naivete and sentimentality. "'How could I have had it all so wrong? "'No wonder your brother has such a low opinion of me.' "'She stared despondently into her cup. "'I am certain that is not the case,' Tom said gently. "'Sidney can be rather hard to read, that is all. "'He is a conundrum.' But a conundrum can be solved. He seems determined to keep the whole world at arm's length. That hasn't always been the case. In his younger days, he was a very different man. She paused, oddly reluctant to hear more, even as she was intrigued. And Mary has spoken of a broken engagement? He nodded gravely. Yes, Eliza. They were very much in love, but at the last moment she passed him over in favor of an older, wealthier man. Sidney set out on a rather self-destructive path. We were all greatly concerned. In the end, I paid his debts and he sailed for Antigua in a bid to forget her. It made him a wealthy man, but the man I knew has never quite returned. Charlotte's mind was filled with images. A younger Sidney setting sail for the tropics, his heart frozen and closed, not even the heat of Antigua able to thaw it. She tried to picture the face of this Eliza who had so bewitched him, but she couldn't. All she could see was a slender figure turning away. The sound of the front door closing brought her back to the present. Sidney walked in, followed by another man. Mr. Monio! she exclaimed. 
he was the last person she had expected to see again. I thought they at least deserved a proper parting, said Sidney. This gesture was so uncharacteristic of the man she'd just been thinking of that she could do little more than gape at him. Before she could look any more foolish, she hurried from the room to fetch Georgiana. Miss Lamb, however, was not in the mood for leniency. Even after Charlotte had persuaded her downstairs, she sat rigidly on her chair, unable or unwilling to even look at the wretched Otis, who, for his own part, remained standing with an agonized countenance, nervous fingers turning his hat over and over. I didn't come to ask forgiveness, he began. I have no right to ask for that. I came because I need you to hear the truth, whether you believe it or not. I have gambled. That is true. But whatever they tell you, I never gambled with your name. I never boasted of your wealth. I boasted of you, of your wit, of your beauty, because I couldn't believe a man of my birth could win the heart of a woman like you. It was pride, that was all, and God knows I have paid for it. We have both paid for it, she said shortly, her eyes still lowered to her clasped hands. I will never forgive myself for putting you in harm's way, pleaded Otis. But before I take my leave for this last time, please know this. I never cared a damn for your fortune. I fell in love with your soul. Tell me you believe me. What difference does it make now? Her voice was cold, but she was battling hard to keep her emotions in check. A single tear escaped, rolling down her cheek. Otis closed his eyes at the sight of it and, obviously close to weeping himself, took his leave. Charlotte could not bear it. She rushed out after him. Otis, will you not say goodbye? He stopped. Miss Haywood, I'd hardly thought you would want to speak to me. What will you do now? How will you settle your debts? He spread his hands and smiled sadly. My debts have been all have all been paid. I've been shown a grace I don't deserve. By whom? She followed Otis's gaze to one of the upstairs windows. There, framed in the glass and watching them with a thoughtful expression, was Sydney. Some hours after a miserable Otis had taken his leave, Babington called with some welcome news, this time for Tom. I have asked her... And, and, as luck would have it, Mrs. Maudsley is hosting a rout for three hundred particular friends this very evening in Grosvenor Square, he announced, holding up an impressively thick square of embossed card. Here is your invitation. Tom's eyes lit up. My dear Lord Babington, you are a wonder. It sounds as if London's entire Beaumont will be there, all of them eager to hear about our regatta. Oh, and of course you must come as well, Miss Haywood. Babington smiled at Charlotte, but she shook her head. Thank you, but I should keep watch over Georgiana. Our servants can do that, cried Mr. Parker, quite brimming with his old joie de vivre again. You must come. Charlotte was still reluctant. I am afraid I have nothing to wear that would befit such an occasion. You needn't worry on that score, said Babington. My sister Augusta is about your size, and she owns acres of silk and organza. She never wears the same thing twice. But Charlotte had already stood... Thank you, Lord Babington, but I am really not in a mood to be sociable. With that, she rushed from the room, Sidney watching her go with a concerned expression. She hadn't been in her room long when there was a soft knock at the door. Sidney put his head round it. 
Thomas sent me up in the hope that you might reconsider. She sighed. How can I attend the ball while Georgiana lies devastated? What right do I have to enjoy myself? Sydney smiled mischievously. Oh, I do not expect to enjoy myself, but for Tom's sake. Charlotte's confusion and guilt spilled over his frustration. Why would he even want me there? I am a liability. Tom doesn't think, seem to think so. Well, he is inclined to see the best in everyone. Unlike his brother? She regarded him curiously. Why did you pay off Otis's debt? Now it was his turn to sigh. I'm not entirely sure. You must have a reason. He looked away, embarrassed. Perhaps I came to the realization that a good man shouldn't be condemned for one terrible mistake. And what did you ask in return? Sidney shook his head. He has lost the woman he loved. That is punishment enough. Loved? When he looked up again, his dark eyes were soft and melancholy. She hadn't seen him look so vulnerable before, and she found herself unable to look away. Otis wrote Georgiana a letter, he said. I took the liberty of reading it. It would seem that he did love her a great deal. You were right all along. At Dunham Place, Esther lay in wait for her errant brother on the chaise lounge. She had expected him to return from Sanditon House some time ago. Finally, she heard his footstep in the hall. You are gone a long while, she said, trying to read his expression when she came in. The word that sprang to her mind was furtive. How fares our aunt? Sicker by the hour, he said bluntly. She's even acquiesced to Fuchs' treatment. Dear God, things must be even worse than we thought. He gave her a strange smile she didn't understand. And the will, she pressed. It must have been carefully hidden, given how long you took to find it. He paused. As a matter of fact, it was nowhere to be found. I, I turned the entire house upside down. I have concluded it doesn't exist. Then why did she say... Her fever has plainly left her confused, he interrupted. He sti had still not met her eye. She barely knows her own mind. We are her nearest living relatives, said Esther, brightening. If there is no will, does that not work in our own favor? You would think so. He went over to stand by the fireplace. She covered her hands with a limp hand, covered her eyes with a limp hand. Thank God it is almost done. She'll be glad if I never hear another word about that wretched will or Clara Brereton as long as I live. Edward continued to stare pensively into the fire, where he half expected to see a fragment of the wretched will holding out against the flames, proof of his guilt and betrayal. As will I, he said heavily. As will I. Chapter 30 Evening had drawn over London like a rose-colored veil. In a grand part of the city, the ballroom at Mrs. Maudsley's house was already admitting its first guests. Charlotte, for her part, was still in Cheapside. She stood at the glass in her room, inspecting herself in her borrowed gown. Vanity was not one of her faults, but she could not tear her eyes away. The dress made her look like another sort of person altogether. Older, more sophisticated, someone almost worldly. A woman. Though she was still nervous, her altered appearance helped. It was almost as though she could be impersonating someone else for the night. 
her mask would make the illusion complete. She was acutely aware of Sydney's eyes on her as she descended the stairs. When she dared to meet them, she saw that he believed her transformed too. Suddenly, she doubted that she could carry off such a sophisticated look. Does it not suit me? she said worriedly. Will it not do? He looked up at her in such a way that she could only look down at her slippered feet, her cheeks beginning to burn. It will do very well, he said, his eyes still on her. The ball was well underway by the time they were announced. Mrs. Maudsley's house was barely recognizable as a house. Charlotte thought it was like something from a dream, with hundreds of lit candles, the glitter of jewels around the ladies' necks, and dripping from their ears, and everyone's faces obscured by every description of mask. Her nerves, which had sweetened to excitement in the carriage as it swept through a darkening London, returned with interest. Tom, seeing the ball as nothing more than a God-given business opportunity, looked about him with delight. Upon my word, there can be... There can hardly be a person with a fig left in London who is not here. You don't need to see their faces to know these are people of influence. They had been spotted by Babington and Crow, who pushed through the throng to greet them. The brothers Parker, cried Crow. He caught sight of Charlotte. And who is this spellbinding creature? I demand you introduce us at once, Sidney. This is Miss Hayward, you buffoon, said Babington, elbowing his friend in the ribs. You have met on several occasions. Miss Hayward, I would have not have known you. He bowed and kissed her hand. A mask becomes you. Thank you, Mr. Crow, she said, with a wry look in Sidney's direction, who smiled back. If that was indeed a compliment. Tom leant in conspiratorially. Now, we must all remember why we are here, to spread the word of the Sanderson Regatta. Like Nelson, I expect every man to do his duty. I, and woman... Crow rolled his eyes. I did not come here to work. I came here to imbibe, carouse, and generally make an ass of myself. With that, he made off towards the dance floor. Tom and Babington in his wake. She and Sidney were left alone. Well, Miss Haywood, he said, aren't you glad you came after all? I cannot say that I am, she began, although this was not entirely true. I feel dreadful for leaving Georgiana. At least I am glad of this mask. I am certain I don't belong in this company. You've as much right to be here as anyone else. I'm not sure I belong either. But this is your natural habitat, is it not? Perhaps I don't truly belong anywhere. As you have observed, I am an outlier. She looked sharply up at him. He always seemed to remember everything she said. Come, Miss Haywood, he continued, offering her his arm. I regret that we are obliged to mingle. <clears throat> In a side room for playing cards, Charlotte was growing hot. There were people everywhere, more people than she had ever seen in one place. She had hoped the air would be cooler away from the dancers and the dozens of candelabrum, but if anything, was, it was more fiercely hot in the smaller room. She jumped as one of the more inebriated gamesters slammed his cards down on the table. She was glad of Sidney beside her, apparently unaffected by the heat and quite as enigmatic as ever. On the other side of the room, she watched Tom trying to engage strangers in conversation about Sanditon. Snatches of speech found her over the general racket. The most refreshing sea breezes, a coastline of unequaled beauty, and grand apartments that are the envy of the continent, to which we now add a grand regatta. 
Charlotte's heart ached for him as the grand dame he was talking to moved away without even responding. I cannot see how conversation is even possible when the room is so loud and everyone is on the move, she said to Sydney. No one is here to make conversation. They are here to be seen. Hence, once their presence has been acknowledged, they will leave for the next gathering. I think I would like to leave now, too, with your permission. Since when have you required my permission to do anything? She was suddenly shy again. Mr. Parker, I must apologize for my earlier behavior towards you. I do not accept your apology. Why not? She cried, already bristling and readying herself for one of their arguments. Then she saw his sincere expression. Because it is I who should apologize, he said. I have done you a great discourtesy, Miss Haywood. I have underestimated you. The room grew yet hotter, and, though it was hard to tear her eyes away from Sydney's, Charlotte feared she would faint if she did not. She was glad when Babington suddenly appeared at Sydney's side. I hate to admit defeat, but the word regatta seems to be falling on deaf ears. Tom, still on the other side of the room, but looking a little discouraged by now, beckoned Sydney over. He was evidently in need of some assistance. Excuse me. She watched him go, reflecting that the profound confusion he stirred in her was utterly exhausting. She turned to Babington, determined to think of something else. I noticed you and Miss Denham were enjoying each other's company at the cricket match. Babington looked surprisingly downcast. I had thought so too, Miss Haywood. Alas, I fear I made rather a fool of myself. I am sure you judge yourself too harshly. With all due respect, I will never understand the inconstancy of your sex. You are a woman, Miss Haywood. So tell me this. Is it possible for your affections for a man to alter entirely within the space of a day? She realized her gaze had been drawn like a magnet back to Sydney. Forgive me, Lord Babington. This room is rather too crowded. I find I can hardly breathe. My dear Miss Haywood, of course you must. But she had already hurried away, leaving Babington more confused on the subject of women than ever. Charlotte pushed through the crowd, which seemed to clot and thicken as she grew more breathless. The masked guests took on a nightmarish quality as they turned to look at her, quite expressionless. She stopped to catch her breath at the doorway to another room and caught sight of an enormous bewigged man lying with his head in a lady's lap while another poured wine directly into his mouth. She threw back her head and laughed as it ran down his face and soaked into her fine dress. Charlotte stumbled away and found herself at the bottom of a wide, curving staircase hewn out of white marble. It was blessedly free of people, the landing just visible above also tantalizingly empty. She ran up without another thought. Entering a dimly lit room, she collapsed into a chair and let out a sigh of relief. My sentiments exactly. Charlotte's head flew up. In the opposite corner of what appeared to be a library sat a woman who was regarding her with amusement. She was older than Charlotte, perhaps in her early forties, but with her smooth dark hair and fine eyes full of laughter and intelligence, she was quite the most striking woman she had ever seen. I'm sorry, I thought I was. That's quite all right. I cannot blame you for seeking a safe harbor. It is an unspeakably tedious gathering. Charlotte saw that the lady was holding a book. She went over to see the name on the cover. It was a writer she knew. 
So you have taken refuge with Mrs. Rollstonecraft, she said shyly. <clears throat> Her new friend seemed pleased by this. I don't know why Mrs. Maudsley even keeps a library. To the best of my knowledge, she is barely literate. It is the height of affectation. And now you are going to tell me she is your mother, and I have just committed a terrible solecism. Charlotte smiled. No, I do not know her in the slightest. Indeed, I barely know a soul in London. But from what I have seen of the place, that is no great hardship. The lady suppressed another smile. If you dislike London so much, then why are you here? My friend Georgiana was abducted, and I was in large part to blame, so I stole away to London in the hope of finding her. She was talking too fast. Gracious! Did you find her? Yes, eventually. She is an heiress, you see, and her suitor, Mr. Molyneux, had accrued certain gambling debts he couldn't pay, so she was sold into a forced marriage to this dreadful man named Howard. It was simply shocking. But her companion was clearly entertained by this lurid account. It was, said Charlotte. Anyway, thank goodness we found her in time, and now she is safe. But Mr. Tom insisted we come here this evening to spread the word of the Sanditon Regatta. But as you see, I am singularly failing at that task. Sanditon? Oh, it is the resort Mr. Parker is building by the sea. It is the most beautiful place, but he has been struggling to attract visitors. She dropped the book she'd picked up absently. So I had the idea of a regatta. Forgive me, I am inclined to talk too much, Mrs. Susan. She put her lovely head on one side. And who might you be? Charlotte Haywood. Forgive me for saying so, Charlotte, but you seem somewhat befuddled. Do I? Yes, I do. I believe I am. It has been a troubling, it has been as troubling a day as I have ever known, and I just had a conversation that, well, I hardly know what to make of it. Charlotte leant for, or Susan leant forward, eyes sparkling once again. How so? Charlotte hesitated, but then realized it would be a relief to let out some of her troublesome thoughts. Perhaps it would bring back some of her usual equanimity. She took a deep breath. There is a certain gentleman, Mr. Sidney Parker, Mr. Tom Parker's brother. He inspires an anger in me that I didn't know I possessed, and yet I find that his good opinion means more to me than anyone else's. How can that be? Susan smiled kindly. It sounds to me as if you were in love with him. What? No, I assure you, nothing could be further from the truth. If I should ever fall in love, it should not be with a man like him. My dear girl, you cannot determine who you fall in love with. It is an affliction, like the measles. Charlotte opened her mouth to protest and then shut it again. Susan's words had the unmistakable ring of truth about them. It cannot be, she murmured, her thoughts entirely disordered. A knock at the door made her startle. Sidney, of all people, walked in. There you are, he cried. I was beginning to fear you had made your escape. Oh, she dropped the book she had only just retrieved from the floor. Susan smiled mischievously at him. Might I presume you are Mr. Sidney Parker? We were just discussing you. Charlotte froze while Sidney frowned in confusion. I see. Well, I wondered if Miss Haywood might like to dance, unless I am interrupting. Not in the least. I expect Charlotte would like to dance with you very much indeed. Unable to think of anything to say, or a reason to refuse, an embarrassed Charlotte allowed him to lead her out and down the stairs. She knew she was trembling, and hoped Sidney could not tell. "'You did not have to ask me, you know,' she said, feeling she had to say something, out of politeness. Sidney gave her a sidelong look. "'Is this 
not what people do at dances. Dance? Unless you would rather be reading. No? She shook her head in confusion. It, it is just that there are so many other ladies here you could ask. His eyes, when she met them, had taken on that softness again. I don't want to dance with them. As the music struck up and the dancers moved into position, Charlotte felt she sh- she felt sure she would trip over her feet, stamp on Sydney's, or simply fall down with sheer mortification. But the rhythm and sway of those around her came to her rescue, and soon she was moving unthinkingly, the room around her and Sydney blurring and quieted, quietening. Wow, I couldn't speak. Blurring and quietening until there was nothing but the two of them. What she had only dimly sensed before, mere hints of a connection between them, now seemed undeniable. But then she felt Sidney stiffen. He had seen something over her shoulder. The softness left his eyes, and something else stole into its place. Something darker, wilder. At that moment, the dance came to its end, and he bowed mechanically. Thank you, Miss Hayward. But he was distracted now. Thank you, Mr. Parker she said, the first small whispers of doubt in her voice. Tom suddenly appeared at Sidney's shoulder. Might I have the pleasure of the next dance, Charlotte, or has Sidney worn you out? She glanced up at Sidney, but he was still looking at someone behind her. She tried to look round, but Tom was waiting for a reply. Not at all, she said. It would be my pleasure. As he whirled her away, she couldn't help thinking that she and Sidney had simply fitted together, as though they had been made to be dance partners. The doubts that had crowded and dissipated as she danced with an ebullient Tom. She forgot what it was that Sidney had been looking at. He, though, was searching the crowd for the woman he had caught only the merest glimpse of. Perhaps he had imagined her. For a time, after she had severed all contact with him, he had seen her everywhere. He'd even seen her face in the white crests of the waves during the voyage to Antigua. And, after he'd arrived... In the sordid places, he had drunk himself into a stupor, though it was impossible that she should um, she should be anywhere like that. He had almost given her up as a figment, figment of an imagination, stirred by the transformation of Charlotte Haywood that evening, when the crowd seemed to part with the express purpose of revealing her. He rushed forward, and, sensing his approach, she turned. Her mask was on, and he still couldn't be entirely sure. "'Mrs. Campion?' he said hearing the desperate note in his voice. She lowered the mask. It was her, as he had known in her soul it would be, a decade older, but her hair still golden, the bone of of her face sculpted even finer. He thought she was only more beautiful for the passing of the years. Sydney, she said in her melodious tones. His heart contracted. He had heard that voice in his dreams. Another dance had finished. Tom and Charlotte bowed exaggeratedly to each other, both of them laughing. "'How happy I am to see the light return to your eyes, Charlotte!' exclaimed Tom. "'There is nothing like dancing to restore one's spirits.' "'Quite so, my dear. Quite so. It seems to have had a similar effect on Sydney.' Something inside her turned over. "'Do you think so?' "'Oh, it is undeniable. He is positively revivified. Uh, But perhaps that is not so much due to the dancing.' As to the presence of a certain young lady, Charlotte blushed. Did he mean her? She hardly dared think so, and yet... Which young lady do you have in mind, sir? She said, as carelessly as she could. 
But Tom was looking away, over to the other side of the dance floor. He's talking to her now, Mrs. Campion. It is unmistakably her. I knew she had been widowed, but had no idea she was in London. How strange that you and I should have been discussing her just this afternoon. Fate must have overheard us. Charlotte followed his gaze, heart thudding painfully. Sidney was deep in conversation with a woman more elegant and sophisticated than she could ever hope to be. However, many dances she attended and dresses she borrowed. Look at them, went on Tom obliviously. It is as if the past decade just vanished. Charlotte felt suddenly heavy, as lowered in spirits as if she had been turned to lead, but still she couldn't stop herself saying, Forgive me, I, I don't recall discussing a Mrs. Campion. Ah, uh, I dare say I referred to her by her Christian name, Eliza. Perhaps they will get their chance at happiness after all. Charlotte swayed on her feet. Though she wanted more than anything to run, she couldn't tear her gaze from the couple across the room, whose good looks had begun to draw every other eye to them, too.